Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you care for us, that you give us your word, and we ask you, God, and lead us as we look at your word and, and show us what you would want us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 46. We're going to finish up this chapter and then probably get into 13. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto them, Behold, your mother and your brethren stand without, desiring to speak with you. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who is my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. So we're going to look at this real quick. It's not, it's not a whole lot here, but it is an interesting statement of where Jesus was at. Uh, there's a lot of people who did have questioned whether this is really talking about his mother and his brothers. I will say that, yes, it's talking about his mother and brothers. Uh, it's not the first time they show up in scriptures. And uh, at one point they come to take him away because they think he's crazy. And you remember that statement where Mary came and it names three of his brothers and, and sisters. So we know he had at least two sisters, if not more. And so, but here he's, saying the same thing he said earlier in this chapter he goes he who does not leave mother and father for me is not worthy of being my disciple and here he's saying the same thing he's not just criticizing his mom and everything here but he's saying i hold the people of god in a higher place than i do my family and i've seen this over and over where people will you know find it very interesting well i can't come to church because my brother is visiting or my aunt's visiting or some relative is visiting so they can't come to church during their visit. And you look at what Jesus says, you, you don't place your family above that. It doesn't mean you treat them bad and you reject them completely, but you do not put them above serving God. And here is what, this is the story that he's telling here that he's not going to put them above. In uh, Mark chapter 3, we see a bit of the same picture, uh, verse 31, uh, Mark 3, 31. And there came with his brethren and his mother, and standing without sent unto him calling. And the multitude sat about him, and they said, And behold, your mother and your brethren are without seek you. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around on them and said, Behold, my mother and brethren, for whosoever shall... Do the will of God the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. So he's the same event that's being described here. And in Luke 8, we see the same, the same thing. Uh, 8, verse 19. Then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come in to, because of the press. And it was told of a certain that said, Your mother and your brother and stand without desiring to see you. And he answered, My mother and my brother and are these which hear the word of God and do it. And in this case, we want to be careful because he's not saying that his, that his mother and brethren weren't following God at that point. Uh, may have not been in his brothers because we do know that they all thought he was a little crazy you know, from that one event. Uh, he's going around healing people, declaring basically that he's God. And you know, if you had a brother or sister declaring that they were God, you'd probably go try to sneak them out of, especially if you cared about them at all, You'd go try to sneak them out of everybody's presence because obviously they were crazy in your mind. And that's basically what they did. I go, our son is going to get himself killed with these Jews. He's, he's speaking blasphemy. He's saying, 
He's saying he's the son of God. Now, Mary should have known better because she was the one that was told that it is the child of the Holy Spirit. But you can picture her, his brothers, you know, going, we got to get this crazy brother of ours out of the, out of the public. You know, he's, he's bad for the family name. We just, you know, uh, and we can picture this whole area of where he's going at. And uh, they're coming in here. And this one doesn't tell us why they come in to see him or anything, but it is one of those things that we see this desire of theirs to bring him in. Uh, and we go back uh, to Matthew 10.37, which we read just a few weeks ago, and it said, uh, He that loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And we did a long study on that, that it's not saying that you reject your family at all, but it's, are they more important than God? You know, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, and that means family doesn't come between us. And this was something when I was growing up, this is the way my dad was. When it was Sunday morning, if we had, uh, or Sunday night, or Wednesday night for that matter, if we had family visiting, they were said, everybody leaves the house because we're going to church. And my dad wouldn't even, you know, some people, that's pretty extreme, you know, he wouldn't let them just stay at the house. He goes, my, my kids have to go to church. You're, you don't have to go to church with us, but you're not staying at the house while we're gone. And he always would encourage them to go to church or go to breakfast or whatever they wanted to do for that period of time. But that was just his standard. That's how I, that's the standard I saw. Family, come to church with us. They knew we were Christians when they were staying with us. They, it was not a surprise to them that we were going to go to church Sunday morning. Or it shouldn't have been. We talked about God all the time. So, but this is what he's saying. He's looking at them and going, yes, my family's out there, but those who are listening, if they'd really cared about God, they'd have been here listening and wouldn't be outside the, the door is basically what he's saying. And we, we picture that, you know, attitude on it. And we think about this. Sometimes Jesus almost seems like he was being cruel to them, but it basically was making a point. If they really cared about me and what I was saying and who, I, who I'm talking about, they'd have been here with my disciples. They would have been wandering around with me, paying attention to what I'm speaking about, not trying to come after the fact. You know, it's, it's not, you don't go in and say, well, I know, the, I, know the, I know the guest speaker. Let me in and let me have a choice seat, even though I'm the last person here and the, and the, and the facility is completely packed. Uh, I do know people who have tried that kind of stuff with, you know, come to see somebody who's famous or something or speaking, show up at the last moment and go, well, this is my, you know, close friend or something, let me in. No, all these other people got here in plenty of time to get a seat. You just, you know, standing room only, go stand, go find the other venue or whatever it might be. So we see this attitude that Jesus has, you know, those who are listening to him are his family. Which is, of course, why the, fan, why the church has the idea that we're all brothers and sisters and, and we, you know, some churches are very strong with that. You know, this is brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's really how we should be looking at each other, that we are family. And I've said this before, I love traveling and going to church. Because no matter where you go, there's family. Uh, we were listening to a... Uh, CD on the, it's, uh, the it was a song about uh, everywhere I go I see familiar faces because I see God's uh, love on their on their faces and if you've done any traveling around you you go to these churches and it's like 
if the God Spirit's there, you're with family. And it's an amazing thing. It, you know, it's really amazing when the messages start meshing together, too. Amazing sometimes when I call my son and, I, you know, and we'll talk about what his pastor spoke about and what I spoke about, and it'll be very similar messages when it's 3,000 miles apart in totally different churches. And where if you listen to the radio pastors and you find them talking about the same general things, it kind of makes you wonder, what am I supposed to be learning right now because everybody's speaking about the same thing. And it's not done on purpose as far as I can tell. I'm sure all these guys don't get together and say, okay, this is a series I'm running next week uh, or next month. What are you running? It just is what happens as people go along. But God's spirit, because he makes us one. He makes us one and he makes us a family. And Jesus is you know, telling the people, you all are more important even than my own family. Because if my family really cared about it, they'd have been, they would have been here. They would have been the first ones here with me and my disciples. They wouldn't have been coming after the fact. And uh, so we see this emphasis uh, coming out across it. I have another verse marked down. I don't know why. Oh, there we go. Uh, Mark uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 3. Let's start at verse 1. And he came out from thence and unto his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, there came, he came to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, and saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which he gives unto us, unto him, that even the mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and, and Jose, and Judah, and Simeon, and are not his sisters here with us and they were offended at him. They basically gave this one to you because it shows how many children were in the family. Uh, we've got a list here of four boys and sisters. And so it shows us that Jesus was not an only child and he had brothers and sisters and we believe that these are his half brothers and sisters because we know that Mary was not a virgin in per perpetuity as the Catholic Church teaches. She had, she had sex with Joseph because it says clearly that he knew her not until after Jesus was born. So these are children that are half brothers and half sisters to Jesus because they have the same mother. So we see this process in here and he had a large family and it also tells us that he was a carpenter. You know, he learned the trade that Joseph had, had been. And the people were amazed at him. Now, here's a carpenter teaching in the synagogue and just blowing their minds as he teaches to them. And here we see in, in Matthew there, that his family's coming to get him. It doesn't say how many of them. It doesn't say if the whole family came to get him. It just says your, your brothers are, and your mother are out there. And so we don't know if it was all of his brothers or, or the whole family or just a key. Now, we do know that his brother James is going to become the head of the church in Jerusalem after his death. And we know that Jude became a Christian. He is the writer of the book of Jude. And that's an bro actual brother of Jesus. So at least two of his brothers came to believe who he was, at least after his death. And so they really didn't believe who it is. They didn't believe the testimony of their mother, that this was God's child. Of course, the town probably didn't believe that it was God's child either because that just didn't make a lot of sense. And here are her children and her trying to get Jesus. Let's get him out of this, you know, 
let's try to talk him out of this uh, craziness that he's getting into and try to get him back to where he belongs. So if we see this here, just a little vignette. Everything God is supposed to be number one. All right, chapter 13. The same day when, when Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and a great multitude was gathered unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went to sow, and when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell among the stony places, and they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up, because there was no deepness of the earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth good for, uh, brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said, Why speak you to them in parables? And he answered them and said, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and, and he shall have more abundance. But whoever hath not to him shall be taken away, even what he has. Therefore speak I unto them in parables. Because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear, and shall, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and it should understand with their heart, and should be converted and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, that, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When any man hears the word of the kingdom, and understands it not, then comes the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that receives the seed by the wayside. But he that receives the seed in the stony place, the same as he that hears the word of God, a nun with joy receives it, yet hath he not rooted himself, but, in, but during a while for the tribulation and persecution arise in the world by, by and by, and he is offended. And also he that received the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and, cares, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he that receives seed into good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So read a long section, but it's all one story, so we want to deal with it. Uh, we look at this in verse 1. Jesus goes back out from the house, and he goes by the seaside. And it says, a great and great multitudes were gathered unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. This happens more than once when we see Jesus. He goes out and he gets in a boat and he goes out a little ways from shore and speaks to them from a boat. Uh, I think a lot of it is for his own protection because the crowds push. If you've ever been in a crowd, it's hard to be in a crowd, which is why most places where you have big crowds and speakers, they're up on some kind of diocese so that they are up above. They're not pressed in on by a crowd. It gives them control of the crowd and control of them from the people. And when politicians get off that diocese and go into the crowd, it drives their, their bodyguards crazy because now all of a sudden you're not in that protected place. 
and anything can happen at that time. And so Jesus went out in the ship, and it says the people stood. But the multitude stood, and we've talked about this, in a Jewish service of in the synagogue, the rabbi sat and the students stood. Uh, we do it exactly opposite of them, where the teacher stands and the audience sits. But it was a sign of respect. We're going to stand. We're going to be uncomfortable while you, master teacher, are comfortable. And there was a respect on here. And here it was the same thing. They stood. They didn't, have a, they didn't just sit down on the, on the shore. They stood, which is showing their honor toward him. And so we see that uh, those are two points. And then he gives the, gives the story. And now we're going to jump to verse 11. <laughs> And Jesus was asked by the disciples in verse 10, why do you speak in parables? And he says, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of heaven, but to them it is not given. God does not waste his time, basically, giving truth to those who aren't going to hear. How many times, I don't know how many of you have ever done street evangelism or tried to talk to somebody who has no desire whatsoever to hear. I have seen people go on street evangelism and they spend 40 minutes talking to somebody and it was obvious in the first five minutes that they were not going to hear, they weren't going to accept anything that they said. And they'll sit there and answer eight million questions and I'm one, I will answer all their questions if they really want to know something. But you can waste a lot of time with somebody who just is asking questions. Uh, a couple years ago, I did that to a young man. He came to visit during VBS, and I basically took him aside because I didn't want him wasting other people's time. And I answered his questions. And then when he started repeating his questions, I'm going, you don't, you're not interested in any answers. You are just looking to argue. He goes, no, I'm really, no. I go, no, you're asking the same questions now. And I'm going to give you the same answer that I gave you 20 minutes ago, so we're not going to continue this discussion because he was not looking for answers. It would have been a waste of my time to sit there and try to argue. And God does the same thing to the people. He does not end up saying, go take and, and convince somebody by arguing them into the kingdom, because you can't argue them into the kingdom anyway. And there are two questions that deserve to be answered. Okay, I'm not saying you totally ignore people's questions altogether, but you know, if you've ever talked with anybody about any topic, you know very quickly whether they're really interested in what you're saying, or are they just trying to be argumentative? And any of us who like to talk about God or politics or all the things you're not supposed to talk about, you know very quickly whether somebody's just wanting to argue with you, or are they really interested in what's being, you know, what, what's being presented? And this is what God's basically saying here. It goes, it's not for all these people. Most of these, and he goes, most of these people are here because of the miracles that I've done. The, food that I fed them, they, the fact that they might get healed, and they're waiting to see you know, what's the next big miracle. And they're not there to hear God's word. What did he say in the previous chapter? These are, my brethren, those who hear the word of God, those who want to hear the, God, the word of God, they are my family. And basically saying, I'm not here to tell, throw my seed to every single person, you know, teach all these people who aren't wanting to hear. Because if you're not wanting to hear God's truth, God's truth will harden your heart. It's just the way it is. If you, hear, if you hear that you're a sinner long enough and keep rejecting it, eventually you get a very hard heart. And it no longer 
you know, it takes a sledgehammer from God to break your heart so that you'll hear, hear that message. And the same thing for those in, that are maybe even Christians that sit in a church and hear God's word and hear God's word and hear God's word, but don't act on it. They end up, if they are Christians or even if they're not a Christian, their heart gets hardened. And they, and they become very dull of hearing because they keep hearing the same thing over and over again and they ignore it. And this is something, if you want to not understand truth, I mean, you can do it in any, any education situation. You hear the same thing and start ignoring it, it starts falling on deaf ears because you just, okay, I've heard that before, it's no big deal. And we do that oftentimes with God's word. Okay, God, I've heard this, so what? <laughs> you know, so what? You know, it's what you're doing. And this is what he's saying. It's not given to them to hear. I'm not showing my truth. I'll give them, the, I'll give them parables. And all the prophets did it too. The prophets did it over and over again. God would say, speak to them in parables. And then he would explain it to them. And we would get the benefit as they wrote it down of knowing what those are because we've read, we've read the parables. But God was always trying to show people by story. And if they got interested in the story and really wanted to know the answer, they could seek out the answer. So that still happened in today's church afterwards to give a sermon on the soul. There's people sitting out there who don't get it. Don't get it. Even when you explain it, there are going to be people who don't get it. And we usually will explain it rather than just leave it, leave it out there. We'll explain the story because God explained it. That's the thing. If you're explaining everything very clearly and you're still not getting it. Because they don't want to get it or their heart is not ready to receive it. This gets, gets you into a very strong question of when we're, when we're doing evangelizing, many people are not gonna listen to you. you know, many people aren't gonna listen to you because they're just not wanting to listen. They're not, they're not prepared to listen. They're not prepared to hear. The greatest thing that you're gonna have when you evangelize is when you hit that person who is ready to receive. And you just see them gobbling it up. It, it, their ears have been opened up, their heart has been opened up, and they are ready. And they, that's a fun place to be in. Other times we're just planting seeds and, and hoping to knock a crack in the stony heart. But Jesus is saying there are many in, out there that aren't there for the right reasons. Thousands of people, a multitude out there, and he's going, I'm not going to waste my time telling them because they're not, they're not ready to hear. They're here just to see me heal somebody. They're here just in case I feed the multitude again. They're not here to hear truth. A great picture of this with Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. All right? And they're all into idol worship already. And he goes, okay, you guys in Baal, you, you are going to set up our altars. You, you know, put your meat on there, but no fire. Pour water over mine you know, to prove that there's no fire on it when the fire falls. He lets the... Uh, prophets of Baal scream and holler and dance and cut themselves all day long and, make, and I, love, I love that story when you read it he's making fun of them <laughs> you know yell a little louder maybe he went on vacation uh, maybe he went to the bathroom you know, you'd, you, know, uh, you know he it's really kind of a you know fun thing when you read it you know he's being something maybe something's wrong with him maybe he took a nap you got to wake him up and then he just, when the time of the sacrifice comes, very quietly tells him to pour water on it. I'm going to prove to you there's no fire there. And he says, and he just goes and he says, God, let's show him who you are and, and bring fire from heaven. And fire comes down and consumes the whole altar. Not just the meat, not just the wood, but in, takes up the entire stones of the altar and melts them. That's pretty hot fire. 
And then he goes, you know, basically he says, how long are you going to halt between the two? Make your decision. Are you going to follow God or Baal? And God sends his fire, and then they kill all the, all the, the prophets of Baal. And then uh, Jezebel tells him that he's a dead man, and he runs 120 miles away. <laughs> he stands up, stands up to 100, 100 and something prophets of Baal and an army, but runs from, <laughs> runs from the queen. Runs 120 miles. God says, what are you doing here? Go back, <laughs> go back where you're supposed to be. But we see this pr- process. The people were not ready, really, to hear God, even at that point, until they saw a miracle of, of extreme proportion. And probably we're worried that if we don't turn to God, we're going to be end up in, the, in that same fire. But we see this over and over. The prophets would speak, and people wouldn't listen. Wouldn't listen because their hearts were not ready to hear. This is something that when we come to church, we need to be preparing our hearts to come to church to hear God. There's many times when we come to church, and I know I've done it many times in my life, where I come to church and I'm just not ready to hear. Especially on some of the weekdays when I worked all day and I got out late from work and I picked up the family and they weren't ready to go to church and then we got to church late. And who knows what those messages were about because I was not ready to hear, usually. And it takes a lot of work in ourselves to be prepared to put ourselves in a framework, God, I want to hear what you're going to say tonight. And be prepared to hear. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the Bible studies, what you hear on the radio, whatever it might be, we need to have God help me to hear. Help me to hear what I need to be able to hear. And Satan is very good at trying to make us get unprepared to hear. When, I, when my kids were little, it would inevitably the, the kids would do something right before it was time to go to church to irritate me and make me get into a bad mood because I was ready to go to church and, and they got their clothes dirty or the baby would mess the diaper just as you're walking out the door, you know, and the, this wouldn't be found, that wouldn't be found, you know, and, and by the time you got to church, you were all irritated and you had to put yourself back into a framework. Or what's really good is Satan is really good about starting a fight between the husband and wife as they're headed out the door to go to church usually over something really stupid. And so you get to church, you're not ready to hear. And here's Jesus saying, these, these people aren't ready to hear. They, they have ears, but they're not hearing. They have eyes to see, but they're not seeing. They're not seeing what God is doing. And this is why we have to be set up for this. He says, and then he goes, that he says, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have an abundance, but whoever has not from him shall be taken away even what he has. This is a theme that Jesus speaks on a lot, that when you are faithful, you get more. If you are going to be disobedient, you're going to lose whatever little bit that you have. And we see this over and over in life, and this is, again, we see it in our own lives, hopefully. (laughs) The more we are honoring God, the more we get rewarded, and the more we see God work. And the more we reject him, the more things seem to get difficult. But if you read any biographies of any of the great Christians, you see just that statement. You know, that same picture. The more faithful they are with God, the greater things God gives them to do. And it's an amazing thing when you think about it. You start out with little and you're, and you're faithful and you watch what God does to build a church, to build a ministry, to build your life, to build your ministry to people. Every one of us have a ministry to people. And in the more faithful we are, the more God builds our ministry and gives us scope beyond what we can ever imagine. And we just are to be faithful. Faithful in little. And he gives us much. Because it's all him anyway. 
And if you're not going to use his gifts, he takes them away and gives them to somebody who will use them because you're not deserving of it. And this is what God's saying. And here he's talking about the Jewish people. The Jewish people were given so much. They were given the law. They were given God's relationship. They were saying, you're my people. Go out and minister. And yet they never really did what they were supposed to do. They never took the message of God out to the world. They had this, this is ours. We're going to hold on to it as tight as we possibly can. And then they didn't hold on to it tight either. One thing about God, if you're not sharing him, it, you, you don't f- keep following him. It just is, you know, if you do nothing but feed yourself and listen and listen and listen and listen and study all the time but never share what you learn, it really brings death to you in many cases. Greatest thing I've ever done all my life is tell people what I've learned in God's word. And I've had a great full pit because I've had classes to teach all my life. But even in that, you know, I've shared with you guys, well, I used to love going to the restaurant and sharing, you know, sharing, you know what God did to me? Or you know what God showed, showed me in his word? They all thought I was nuts, but that's okay. I wanted to let them know God is real. And God is teaching. And God is uh, talking to me. And I know many of them thought I was absolutely nuts, but that's, that's fine. The world's going to think that we're nuts. Though when we, share, when we share with them, most of the world is going to think that we are crazy. Most of the world thought Jesus was crazy. Most of the religious world thought Jesus was crazy. But those who were ready to hear his message, it turned to great life for them. And we see this. He says it's going to be given, more and more given. And I've seen this in my life. The more I follow him, the more I share about him, the more I follow, you know, the more I follow him, the more he gives in return. And hopefully you've all seen that same thing. It may just be one or two areas, but the more you're faithful in those areas, the more you get. And the stronger you see yourself being used by God. Have you found yourself doing things you never thought you would ever do in your life by following God? Now, I never would have thought that I would have done door knocking and, and street evangelism and, and teaching in a way that's reaching to different people around the world. None of that stuff was in the forefront of my mind. And one day I figured I'd, you know, I wanted to be a pastor and be, a, and, and be in a church and teach my church, but never thought all the other stuff would be, be there. And God says, here's just extra. Okay, you're faithful here. Let's take you to the next. Who knows what God's got in store 10 years from now, 15 years from now, five years from now. Who knows? You never know what God's going to do and how fast he can make things happen. It's an amazing thing to me how fast God can make changes in our life and turn things around. And when people have been received God's blessing, it, they're just amazed. Okay, God, I've been praying for this. Wow, it happened overnight. <laughs> sure had to wait a little while, but man, when God moves, <laughs> it happens. And we can then have our testimony of, look how God moves. <laughs> and blesses. Verse 13 says, Therefore I speak unto them in parables, because they seen, see not, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. In, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing they shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing they shall not see, and shall not perceive. So he's basically saying, these are religious people. They've got their mind stuck. How many times have you had your mind set that something has to happen a certain way? We do this a lot of times when we pray. God, I want this to happen, and by the way, this is probably how I think it should happen. And then when it gets answered, but not the way we thought it should be answered, 
but a better way, sometimes we miss it because we're just not ready to see. We were expecting it to be done in a certain way and it didn't happen the way we expected. And we almost miss the blessing a lot of times. The disciples were this way in many cases, and all through the scriptures. You know, how easy would it have been for Joseph to miss his blessing you know, when, it, when he had given the, the interpretation to the dream to the butler and the butler forgets him for another three years or a year and a half, whatever, you know, year and a half, three years, I can't remember. But anyway, butler forgets him and goes back into service and forgets that Joseph interpreted his dream until Pharaoh has his dream. Perfect timing. But you know, at any point, Joseph could have said, the heck with following God, it's not paying off. 13 years as a slave and a prisoner. And we don't know exactly how it breaks down. But most of us, after 13 years, would have probably said, God, you're not worth following. I, my integrity has been there, but you have not given me any blessings from my integrity. Most people would have given up long before the 13 years had passed. And here's Joseph. Okay, God, I'm going to honor you. I'm here on false charges. My brother sold me into slavery, and now I'm in prison on false charges, but I'm going to stay following you. And then God raised him up. At any point, he could have quit following God. I said, God, you're just not worth following, and ended up in prison the rest of his life and never being promoted. But, you know, this is what happens. We see but not always perceive because we expect things to happen in just a certain way. The disciples did this. They were following the Messiah. The Messiah is going to get rid of Rome and make, Jew, make the Jewish nation the nation it's supposed to be. And they almost missed everything about Jesus. And he even explained things to them. And yet, they never fully understood. They never really understood. When he says, I'm going to go to the cross and die and resurrect in three days, that did not compute with them. It's why it was an amazing thought to them that he, when he showed back up three days after, after the crucifixion, alive. And he's going, I told you. I told you all of this. But, you know, I don't make too much fun of him because I've also done the same thing in, in many parts of my life where I expect God to do certain things. And when he doesn't do it the way I expect him to do, I almost miss seeing what he's doing. And, again, this is when we read stories about people and we see how God has done just this with them. Just this whole idea of showing them in ways that they don't expect. God is, is a wonderful, creative individual. And he will do things his way. And I've watched, I've prayed him in myself. I've prayed ways, going, God, I really think I need this. And this is what I think. I think I need this particular job, God. And it would be really good if you give me this job because it'll pay, it'll pay all these bills. And God says, I got another plan for you. Uh, God, I think I really should be moving to this place. You know, God, if you're not stopping me, I'm going to go there. And God said, I've got another plan for you. Just chill out. <laughs> Relax. You know, God, I think you really should save this person. And you really should bring this person in their life so they could get saved. God's got, I've got a plan. <laughs> I've got a plan. Yeah. We oftentimes, you know, we're not real blunt about telling God, but we kind of suggest to God or in the back of our mind oftentimes have ways that we expect it to be answered. And God's saying, no, <laughs> we're going to do this my way. Not your way, my way. And he says, this is the way the people, he goes in verse 15, for the people's hearts wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with the heart, and be converted that I should hear them. 
their hearts are waxed gross. They're evil. They're, they're just you know, really bad. Their ears are dull of hearing. They don't hear. Uh, have you ever been in a place where you've heard something but not really understood it? Maybe on purpose? <laughs> you know, not just because of bad hearing. You know, because as we get older, we have bad hearing and we, we get dull of hearing. But when there are people that just won't hear what they don't want to hear. And this will happen when you're witnessing to people. They just won't hear what is truth because it doesn't match what they want to hear. They won't hear that they're a sinner because they don't want to believe that they're a sinner. And they won't accept that God gave pay the price because they don't think there's a price for them to be paid because their hearing is dull. They're hearing what they want to hear. And this is why it's important. They close their eyes. They don't see God at work. You know, talk to anybody who believes in evolution and try to point out to them the fallacies and the problems with evolution and they won't hear you. They just will not hear even scientific proof and facts they won't hear because it doesn't match their preconceived thought processes. And this is something that we will do. Even in the Christian world we have different things sometimes or different doctrines that we believe that when somebody doesn't believe what we believe and starts telling us what they believe and why we automatically put up walls that say, I'm not going to listen because it just doesn't match what I believe. Now, in some cases, that is a good thing because you're not getting your mind polluted. In some places, especially if you're not believing biblically, it's a bad thing. We at least need to be able to say, God is what's being said true and convert it to the word. Uh, Holy, the, act, the work of the Holy Spirit is one of those things that has a great division. You've got some are way too far in a camp that the Holy Spirit is everything and, and nothing nothing better. You got those who virtually deny the Holy Spirit. And we need to be in the middle of those two extremes because the Holy Spirit is alive. He does work and he lives in us. And he is healing people and, and doing all the great things he did in the, Old, in the Old Testament and New Testament. And we cannot deny that. And if you're, if you're too far in either camp, you've got to be careful because everything you hear is filtered through what you believe and you miss the truth of who the Holy Spirit is. And many times I've had my mind changed over the years as I start reading God's word and listening to message. I'm going, hmm, I've never thought about that. And then I have to go in and study and say, you know, it sounds, it sounds like they might be right. I need to do some study. And I've had things change. Some things that I believed a long time all of a sudden get challenged and say, oh, I've got to change the way I think, change the way I behave, change the way I act in this. We need to be subtle, supple enough to be able to take that kind of correction. Not so open-minded that we get bombarded with every falsehood as well, but we have to be soft enough to be able to say, God, is what's being said true? Is it something I need to pay attention? Be good Bereans and research what you get taught because it's very important to know. You want any inaccuracies in your life to be taken away but you don't want to let go of something just because somebody gives you a good, strong argument that leads you into some other direction. This is why in the 1850s, when evolutionists started proclaiming evolution, the church had a hard time with it because they didn't accept God's word as being true and then tried to figure out how we can blend, blend the two uh, quote-unquote truths together. And they ended up doing some really dumb things. And since then, we've been able to say, no, you guys should have just held on to the word of God. I understand why they did it, they, but you have to be careful. And this is why I say we want to be pliable enough to, to correct our incorrect thinking, but 
closed-minded enough not to let just anything, you know, into our brain to, to affect the way we think. That's a very hard path to walk. Very hard path to walk. Most of the time, what I have seen, that God's truth is somewhere in the middle of the extremes. When, when there's a group that's way off on an extreme and another group that's way off on an extreme, God's word is probably somewhere in the center. Now, can you lose your salvation? No, you cannot lose your salvation, but there are many that don't have it in the first place that you might think they do, and this is what the, this uh, section that we're looking at tells us. There are many that never got saved, and so we want to be very careful about that. And Jesus said that uh, I'm going to give you the answer. All right, so verse 19, he gives the first step. And when one hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that received the seed by the wayside. There are many people that you will give the gospel to that are this, this category. It just falls on hard soil. And it doesn't even have a chance to spring up because the birds of the air, Satan comes along and he gives them, gives them uh, reasons for it not to be even considered. And they're just not ready to hear. No matter what you say, no matter how you argued it, no matter, no matter how you defended it, they're not going to accept. Period. They're not even going to have a beginning of it. And if you witness to enough people, you'll find a lot of people in this category that just are not going to listen. Some of it is there are certain people that we would not be able to reach. For many people, you're not able to reach your own family because your family just looks at you and says, well, I know, I remember you when. <laughs> Until you've actually changed everything in your life and they start really looking at you and say, well, there, you really have changed. Then their heart starts to be broken up and pliable sometimes. But family is going to be the hardest people for you to ever witness to. Jesus had the same problem with his family. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe who he was. They don't believe that he, his message. Family is hard. So what you want to do for family especially is, if you have opportunity, you share the gospel gently. But mostly you're going to pray for your family because it almost always will take somebody outside of the family to reach them. Not 100% because there are many times when you can get your family saved as well. But the most likely event is going to come from the outside. Doesn't mean don't share the gospel with them, because the worst thing would be for you not to share with them. But they're, might, they're not as likely to listen to you. And so pray. But this is, there are going to be people that you can reach. There are people that I can reach with my education level and everything that other people couldn't begin to talk to. There's other people that, because of my education level, I probably couldn't talk to them because they would say, you use too many big words and, you're, and, you're, and all of this other stuff. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to try to witness to them. And I would watch my language with them to make sure it's not college level necessarily. But each one of us has certain people that we can reach because of our background, our way of, our way of talking, our way of education, our way of work. Uh, people who are a mechanic are going to have a little more uh, relationship with other mechanics. You know, they're gonna, they have something to hook into each other with and talk about. People who are into entertainment, you know, can get that same relationship. There's going to be certain people in your life that you can talk to easier and better than somebody else. And those are going to be ones that God says, these are for you to talk to. And, and their ground may be soft towards you while being hard towards somebody else. You never know. And we never know the heart condition of those that we're sowing our seed to. This is the picture. The seed is the same seed. It's the gospel. It's the gospel message. 
and it's cast out. It's just thrown out to all kinds of different soils, and it's up to God what happens to the seed as it gets into those soils. Always remember that. It's up to God. It's not, not me trying to decide that I'm a failure because I'll, all I talk to is hard-hearted, thorny-bushed people. You know, God will give me a soft heart eventually. <laughs> but it's his desire. And verse 20 says, But he that received the seed in the stony place is the same that hears the word of God, and a nun with joy receives it. Yet he, yet he has no, no root in himself, and doth for a little while, and endureth for a, whole, for a while, for when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, by and by he is offended. There are many people who seem to be receptive to the word of God. Sometimes they're very receptive to the word of God. I've seen people get saved and go to Bible college and become pastors who never really received the word of God deeply. It doesn't happen a lot, but I've seen it. There are people who hear it. They get excited. It's wonderful news. And then when somebody starts saying, well, how can you believe that crazy message? You know, you know, how could you become a Christian of all things? You know, or worse. And when the, when the pressure is put on them, they go, nah, it's not worth anything. It's, you know, it just disappears. It is choked out by, the, by no root. This is one of the reasons that when somebody becomes a Christian, we need to be discipling that person and trying to get roots down for them. Very important. Can they get roots on their own? Yes, it happens. But you know, most people, if they don't have somebody that comes and puts their arm around them and says, let me help you get into the Word of God. Let me, I'll be the one that help you through those hard, hard spots that you're having trouble with. When somebody gives you a hard time and you, don't un, and you don't think you're worthy of God anymore, you come talk to me and I'll help you. We all need those type of people because it is easy to get frustrated. It is so easy to get frustrated and say nothing is working. Because we look at things by sight. And we go, I don't see, I don't see any growth. I don't see anybody being reached. Must, must be totally wasted. Yeah. If Jesus had done that, just think about that. He invested his whole life into 12 people who all disappeared the day he went to the cross. If he followed that logic, he would have said, oh, I wasted, my, I wasted four years of my life. Nobody's believing in me. Nobody's following me. If he saw things by sight. Everybody's gone. Matter of fact, one of them even sold me to the, to the enemies. And the rest of them ran away when, when pressure happened. He could have been going in saying, give this up, Father. Just take me home. I've wasted four years. We had to be so careful that we're not looking at things by sight. And watch what God can do. Watch what he will do by just being by faith. Most people fall, a lot of people fall at this point. You know, they're just, when a little bit of pressure comes up and it doesn't seem like they see anything by sight, and they go, okay. Those are the kind of people that will come, both these next two people are the kind of people who go, well, I tried God, it didn't work. Well, you don't try God. You commit your life completely to him, good or bad. These are the type of people who go, well, God didn't bless me. He didn't give me my million dollars and put a car in my driveway and a new house in my, in my possession, so he must not be worth following. You know, why are we following God? Well, I chose to follow God because I didn't want to go to hell. Plain and simple. I heard that I would, if I continued in the direction, I was going to hell, and I didn't want to go to hell. And I got saved. I got saved at 10 years old because that was the message that I heard. And there are a lot of people that will tell you, don't, te don't teach kids you're going to go to hell. 
Why not? Now, do I want to scare them to death? No, but I want them to understand there's a serious thing to deny Jesus. Same thing when we talk to adults. There's a serious consequence to denying Jesus. Any other message other than you deserve punishment is a false basis for them getting saved. Plain and simple. If you're not getting saved because you don't want to avoid punishment, what are you getting saved from? Now, the, the European American gospel is get Jesus and everything's going to be okay. Well, I can tell you one thing. Everything has not been okay since I've gotten saved. There's been a lot of hard times in my life. But because I'm following God, he gives me peace. And my ultimate goal is that I'm not here to have good time in this world. I'm looking for heaven when everything will be good forever. And if I went through pure hell on this earth but had Jesus looking to heaven for eternity, I can get through anything on this world because my mind focus is on, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. It really doesn't matter what goes on in this world. The good news is he doesn't give us nothing but bad on this world. He gives us many good things as well, but that's not his promise. His promise is not, I'm going to give you lots of good things on this world. He goes, I came to give you life, eternal life. And that's what he came to give us. Not good blessings. And so we want to be able to understand. The next one he says in verse 22, And he that receives seeds among the thorn is he that hears the word of God, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. There's a lot of people that fall on this one. Now, hear God's word. They're all excited. Then they stop going to church because they're so busy working. They're so, they stop going to reading their Bible because they're having to have, have fun. They, they, they've got to have their fun. They've got to have the, the bills paid, all these other things. And these are all legitimate things, but not if it chokes out God and replaces God and becomes an idol in our life. And many people are falling into this category as well. They get saved, they're really excited, and they come to church for a couple months, and then you never see them again. Because everything becomes so important. They haven't been reading their Bible, they're not praying, they're not following God. And before long, it's like, oh, that was just my God thing, that was my God phase. Have you ever heard anybody say that? That was my God phase. Or, or when you get saved and you really get committed to God, well, maybe you'll grow out of it. You know, I've watched you go through other phases. You'll get, you'll get over this one. Uh, all of these first three types of seed did not produce life. In one story, we find out that most of the seed sown did not appear to produce, at least the way Jesus tells the story. When we sow the seed, many times it's not going to produce seed. The first one are those who just flat out reject it. They don't even give it any consideration. The next two, these are the ones evangelists get attacked for. Well, you get all these people coming forward, how, where are they a year later? And some 70, 80% of them are not following God. But the thing that the evangelist knows they're not responsible for the responses of the people. Now, evangelists will do a good job if they're worth their salt of trying to do follow-up and keep the people in the church. But we're not responsible. When we share the gospel and somebody gets saved, we do the best we can to get them into God's word, get them into a church. 
any church, it really doesn't matter, but a church. But we're not responsible for them rejecting those things because they weren't true disciples of Christ. And we know that you can have this, Jesus had one who wasn't a true disciple in Judas Iscariot. Spent four years with the master <laughs> hearing the deepest truths you can possibly hear, seeing the deepest miracles, the biggest miracles. And what does he do? Totally rejects it. And then doesn't repent because he's just so heartbroken, you know. Uh, and it wasn't repentance. It was just that utter, uh, what have I done? You know, I sold him. And he come back because he didn't expect him to kill him. And he said, tried to, re you know, give him back their money and let him go. You know, it was too late. But one of the 12 that Jesus poured his life into for four years still rejected him. And again, I think that's to show us as Christians that we can do everything right and still have those that we care about that are supposed to be fellow brothers and sisters in our life fall away. Because if Jesus had been successful with all of them, we would look like, well, none of us can hold up to Jesus' standard. you know. And, uh, but Jesus had one of the key disciples fall away. And if that was going to happen to Jesus, we should definitely expect it to happen in our case. Pastors have to have this happen all the time. They preach and preach and teach. They pour their life into people for a period of time. And then that person gets offended or whatever else and ends up not coming to church for a while, if ever again. And if you take too much of that to heart, you can destroy yourself. Well, God, uh, I've lost this person and this person and this person and this person. There must be something wrong with me. Now, if you're losing everybody that you do that, you might have something wrong with you. But if you just keep having certain people fall away, you have to say, okay, God, they're in your hands. Especially if you see other people growing and, and developing. You go, okay, God, they're, they're one of my Judas Iscariots. They're, they weren't mine. Maybe they'll find a church where they will be a Peter or a Paul, but they weren't, for me, they weren't that person. And there's times when people just move on. There's times when that happens. And we can't, again, take, we can't be kicking ourselves because they decided to move on. When we are discipling people, there's going to be seasons in our life where we're discipling people and they're growing, and then they might just move on to some other, other discipler. And that's part of growth. Maybe, maybe they've outgrown what we can give them. Maybe they need something different that we can give them. But the last seed in verse 23, but he that receives the seed in good ground is he that hears the word and understands it and bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. A Christian life is going to bear fruit. Why? Because we're attached to Jesus. It's going to bear the fruit of our own lives being changed. And it should bear fruit with us sharing the gospel with other people. Now, part of that is we may never know how successful we are in sharing the gospel with other people. Because we might just be the one planting seeds. All right? You may do more seed planting or more likely watering the seed that's already been planted than ever harvesting. But you know, there should be some harvesting in your life. If you're sharing the gospel with enough people, there should be some harvest in your life where you are getting to pray with somebody when they accept Christ. The greatest joy I've had is with the people that I have been able to, to pray with and see the change in their life. 
Now, I know I've planted a lot more seeds and I've watered a lot more seeds than I've harvested. But it is fun to have all parts of it. And we will, if, we, if you share the gospel often enough, you will have the pleasure once in a while of seeing somebody come to Christ. Ultimately, though, we will see in heaven the people that we've had an impact on. When, because Paul said, you know, I planted, Apollos is watered, and, and Cephas is, has harvested. I can't remember, it might be a different order, but it was, you know, he's going, each one of us have our part. Each one of us have our part, and all of us are important. The person could not have harvested if somebody didn't plant the seed at some point that wasn't really paid attention to. And somebody came along and put a little bit of water on it and kind of made it start germinating to the point where somebody came along at just the right time when it was ready to come forth and produce fruit. Never be discouraged at, at, at your, the results from when you are sharing the gospel because you don't know your part on it. You don't know if you're the waterer. You don't know if you're the planter. You don't know if you're going to be the harvester that day. You just are faithful. Faithful to do your part and share the gospel. And sometimes it'll just be a little word here, a little word there, a little action that we did that will plant and water seeds. But we need to, at some point in our life, also verbalize. <laughs> this is the problem with friendship evangelism that comes out there. People go, well, just show enough of God and maybe one day they'll ask, they'll ask you about Jesus. Well, most people that are practicing friendship evangelism have been friendship evangelizing people for 20 and 30 years and have never once opened up the gospel with them. Because they just get used to you. That's what you're like. You're, you're, you're kind of weird. You, you're, you're a Christian. You're a little you're weird. I'm not going to ever ask you. Uh, it's a scary thing to do that. And it's been shown that the longer you wait to bring up God in a friendship, the less likely you are to bring God into the friendship. It just, that is the way it is. Because you're always, now you've got to worry about blowing your investment in them. If I, get, if I bring God into this and they get, they get angry with me, I just spent four years building this, building this relationship with them and now they're going to get mad at me and I'll never have another chance. But if you bring God in, the amazing thing is you bring God into the conversation early on in a, in a, in a friendship, not pushing and shoving them, but you just say, this is what God is, or you go, what are you going to spend eternity, or whatever, they also understand that that's you. They can make their decision whether they're going to be your friend after that or not, and usually they'll be your friend if you weren't obnoxiously pushy, but they also know that you are putting God first. And again, I'm going to say this, it's very clear, the longer you wait to bring God up in a friendship, the less likely you are to ever bring him up. And most people are saying, I'm just waiting for, waiting for the right time. The right time never comes unless you make the right time and, and step into it and let the Holy Spirit deal with it. And I'm going to tell you, it's better to offend them before you spend a lot of years with them and let them know who you are and what you're going to do and go forward from there. And again, we're not saying be obnoxious. Hey, you're going to go to hell if you don't change. No, we're not talking about that. But you just, what do you, what do you think, where do you think you go when you die? Do you believe in God? Start opening the door for conversations about God in very gentle ways. And a great line is, what, what do you think happens when you die? Or when you, stand before, when you die and you stand before God, why should you go to heaven? All kinds of little ways you can start the conversations with these people that aren't offensive unless you make them offensive. 
Now, you can be obnoxious and offensive and drive people away from you, and that's not what God is saying to do. Jesus was never obnoxious and driving people away who were true seekers. Now, with the Pharisees and scribes and, the, and Sadducees, he was pretty harsh on them, but they weren't seekers. They weren't going to listen to anything he had to say anyway. But look at how he dealt with the woman at the well. You know, go and call your husband. Well, I don't have one. You are right, you, but you have five. You have five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. You know, very gentle. He wasn't accusing. I don't think he was attacking her. It was just, you've spoken correctly. You, you know, this is the sin that you're living in. And he was able to deal from that point. So we want to be gentle, but we've got to bring God into the conversations with people. Help them see where they're at, what they're doing. Is there times not to do that? Well, yes, if you're at work being paid to work, you don't want to be spending your whole time evangelizing. You're not paid to evangelize. Unless you work for a one of the handful of companies that actually pay somebody to, to witness to people, and there are very few of them out there. <laughs> but you know, when you're at work, you don't go evangelizing because that's not what you're being paid for. Now, on your break time or before work or after work, evangelize all you want or all you can. But you know, we need to be bringing God into certain circumstances. Does that mean we preach at him every single time we see him? No, because otherwise he'll never want to see us. <laughs> but if we never give them the gospel, we're basically saying, well, I want to be your friend, but I don't care if you go to hell. That's a pretty harsh statement when you think about it. We'd never know when somebody's going to die. And the one thing that you find is when somebody passes away and you go, man, I never, never took the time to talk to them about God. Somebody that you know and you never turn, talk to them about God, you're going to be, if you really care about them, you're going to go, man, I hope somebody talked to them about God. You know, we really want to do this. We want to bring him in in a gentle way and be able to share with him with friends and family and strangers, that we have a gospel message for them to hear. How do we introduce them? Part of the way of the master that we're going to be starting, we'll have little tricks and ways to introduce the conversation. And we're going to be going through those, you know, little, little ways to start, you know, maybe even getting them to want to hear the gospel. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you're, if, to have somebody go, hey, tell me about this. I've had that happen in street evangelism as we're passing out tracks. Hey, did you get one of these? No, what is it? Tell me all about it. Oh, let me tell you all about this message that I've got here for you. And they asked for it. And usually when they ask for it, they'll listen, even though they didn't know what it was they were getting themselves into. Because all of a sudden, there's something that you're willing to tell them. And they asked, and people, when they ask, usually will say, okay. You know, and they might be thinking in the back of their mind, well, I'm getting what I asked for. It's not really what I wanted. But, but we want to be able to share the gospel and be able to do it gently, but do it. We should have this goal of being able to witness to at least one, one person a week minimum. <laughs> It'd be nice if we can learn to witness to one person a day or really get excited and ask for 10 people a day. If you really get into evangelism, you're going to be excited about it. It can, get, it can be fun. It can be exciting. And I'm looking forward when we do the way of the master and hearing the different people who have said, I got to share this with people, and this is what they responded by. And you know that'll cause great excitement when we get those positive reinforcements but we want to be able to share the gospel with people and we want to be able to open up and again as the sower we're not responsible for their response to the to the word the seed is the same seed in everybody's in all these hearts and if you really look at it basically Jesus is saying only about 25% of the people are going to respond if, if this four heart 
in scenario is correct. And you know what? It's pretty much what I have seen. For every four people I talk to, there's only one who really shows any, in, really, any true interest in many cases. And it's not exactly four, but you, know, you, know, you talk to four, five, six people, and you find one person who's ready to listen. Not always accept and become a Christian, but they're willing to listen. You tell enough people, you're going to have people that are going to get saved. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, give us the desire to witness to people. Give us the courage to witness to people. And fill us with your spirit to help us to be able to witness and have the right words. In your son's name, amen.